You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where they have a lot to say about a certain subject, but you know they've never personally experienced or gone through what they're talking about? In other words, what they're giving you is a lot of information, but you're left kind of wondering, how does this actually fit into the real world, into my life as I'm hearing this? Well, we've been spending a few weeks looking at Christian experiences. In other words, certain teaching that we should all be familiar with that's relevant uh, to the life of each one of us in Christ. Um, And we've been looking at a number of different subjects Uh, And we have about two weeks left in this series. But this morning, we're going to turn to the subject of affliction and trials. 
And I can't help but think of a better place to go in the New Testament for how to navigate and understand affliction than the Apostle Paul. Someone who didn't just pour out a bunch of information about a subject he was not personally acquainted with, uh, but one that in Christ, uh, he was not just telling us, this is what God says, but, but I have seen this tested and verified in my life. Uh, so open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 1. And Philippians is one of Paul's prison epistles, which right away gives us a, a mindset as to where Paul is when he's writing this. Uh, the church of Philippi, Paul did found during his second missionary trip, which is recorded in the book of Acts. Uh, but now we're looking at a church about 11, 10 to 11 years after its founding. Uh, and Paul is in prison. This is his first prison imprisonment in Rome. Uh, he's in prison there, and he gets a visit from Epaphroditus, someone from the church of Philippi. Paul's going to send Epaphroditus back, expressing his thanks, but also to tell the church, how is he doing? How is he handling the afflictions and the difficulties that they have been hearing that he has gone through? And so it's a very personal letter. It's a very relevant letter, I think, to each one of us. As I've said, whether you are in the midst of a certain difficulty or situation, or you've just come out of something, or you're looking at your Christian life saying, well, all's pretty good right now, but be prepared, you will soon then be going into something difficult. Uh, so turning our attention to Philippians chapter 1, Paul's going to expand in verses 12 through 30 on two truths. And these are the two that we're going to take some time to look at. The first is that afflictions are inevitable. What does that mean, that they're inevitable? And the second truth we'll look at is that afflictions are invaluable. Two very relevant truths to living the Christian life. So let's begin with the first one. Simply, afflictions are inevitable. Now, as you're looking at this passage, you may find yourself thinking, well, I don't hear Paul talk about afflictions. Well, you're right. He doesn't use that particular word. But you'll notice the phrase that he uses in verse 7, 13, 14, and 17. He refers to his chains. Now, the word itself literally means fetters or shackles. Uh, and if Paul was under some kind of house arrest in Rome or even a more serious condition, he may literally have been in some form of restraints, as we know in other times he was. But the emphasis here is on Paul's afflictions in the various forms that those may have taken Paul speaking to us out of personal experience but personal experience that is to be tested against the word of God and maybe as a point of clarification here by afflictions we're zeroing in on those trials and difficulties as you seek to live out your faith in Christ Jesus now, not so much those general hardships that we have because we live in a sinful world, you know, where you have a garden and you have to weed it, or, you know, you're getting a little older, so you have more aches and pains in life. Yes, th those are difficulties we face, but I want to zero in more on what are the things that we're dealing with that are the direct impact of our, our love for Christ? And, and we're trying to process and work through those 
in a way that honors and glorifies God. And so we need to grasp that, yeah, we may not be in chains like Paul, but afflictions are inevitable. Look with me at Acts chapter 9, just for a moment, then we'll come right back to Philippians, our text. But Acts chapter 9, and take you all the way back to Paul's conversion. But here as Saul, he's heading into Damascus with the intent of arresting, persecuting believers. Uh, but as you well know from Scripture, the account where he is encountered with the risen Christ. But look at Acts 9 and verses 15 and 16. To again sort of do a flashback here and think of all that's happened to Paul since these words were spoken to him by Ananias. In Acts 9, verses 15 and 16, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, referring to Paul or Saul, is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And the word suffer there is the term we often use when we speak of Christ's suffering, the, the Pasco, the sense of uh, difficult experiences one goes through. And so you do a little retro at Paul's life and ministry and think now he's writing a letter and he's gone through lots of trials, lots of difficulties. If anyone could say with the greatest confidence to us, afflictions are inevitable, it would be Paul who follows the example of Christ. But now let's see how he communicates that message to the church in Philippi. So in Philippians 1, you notice verses 15 through 18. Unlike the American version of Christianity, unlike the contemporary version, Christianity is not a call to personal fulfillment. It is not some kind of glorified self-improvement program. Where, where you want to make your life better, you want it to be happy, you want it to be complete, so you just kind of add Christ to the mix. But Paul reminds us in verses 15 through 18 that every follower of Christ shares in the exact same calling. Now, your calling may be unique, the circumstances of how God drew you, <coughs> but in reality, we all have the same calling in Christ Jesus. So notice what he writes in verses 15 through 18. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Now, Paul refers to his purpose as being one to preach the gospel. And yes, as an apostle, you could say he's specifically one sent with authority. But I don't think it's wrong for us to say in Christ there is a much broader sense that we're all apostles, we're all sent out to share the message of Jesus Christ. And the word preach here does not necessarily mean to stand behind a pulpit like I am doing. It means to announce, to proclaim, to, to offer the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. But notice in that Paul also adds another element to preach, but also to defend the gospel. And the word defend is the root for our word apologetics, to give an apology for. 
In other words, an, an explanation for what does the Bible teach and why do we believe the Bible? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that people will look to you if they think you're a Christian, if they know you go to church, they will sometimes ask you, what, what does the Bible say about this? They, they will look for you for clarification because they assume you must know something about the Bible. So Paul is saying that's his calling. But at the same time, you notice as he speaks of this calling, that applies to all of us. We're all called to announce the good news of Christ. We are called to help explain it, to articulate it in a way that whoever you're talking to can understand what you're saying. They may not agree with it. They may reject it. But they can understand what you're saying the Bible teaches on this particular issue. Notice he goes on there as he's talking about the, the different motives that people have. For, for why they're out proclaiming the gospel. He says in verse 17, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from these false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. So even as we're sitting here this morning, there's other churches in the Upper Valley holding their worship service. Uh, many of them probably do some things differently, sing different hymns, different order of worship. But the reality is, if God's word is going out, if it's being even just read from the pulpit, maybe not taught correctly, but read from the pulpit, should we rejoice in that? Yeah, God, God's power and just his word being read we must never underestimate. And Paul looks at these other people that are out there and says, these aren't false teachers because he says they are preaching Christ. Now their motives are wrong, but he rejoices that God is more powerful than the messenger. And I think we need to grab hold of that in light of the fact that affliction is inevitable. Look with me at Philippians 3 and verses 10 and 11. When you just think about your calling in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3, 10 and 11, Paul writes, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings because like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Now we like the first part of verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Think of how often we sing choruses that emphasize the power of Christ, the reality of the resurrection, what that means for us when we die. Those are all true, vital Christian truths. But do we forget that attached to that is knowing the fellowship of his sufferings? Not, not that somehow we suffer in the same way that Christ did know his death was unique, it was vicarious, it was representative for all of our sins, the punishment. But I think we have tended, for many of us in our Christian walk, to divorce the concept of discipleship and affliction. And Paul says those go together. They're inevitable. If you're going to be a disciple, you will face conflict. You will face trials. 
you will be misunderstood in your Christian faith by others and possibly attacked or criticized. If you find yourself sitting there thinking, well, that has, that I don't know what you're talking about. That's not happened to me. Then I'd like to talk to you after because there's something not right. If, if you are growing in Christ, this is the reality of what your world should look like. But Paul goes on here and says, not only is every follower of Christ have this calling to believe and to be willing to suffer, but also you'll notice in verses 29 and 30 of chapter 1, every follower of Christ is to embrace affliction. Now, I'm not saying you're, you, you do it in a sadistic kind of way, like you want to hurt yourself or anything like that. But Paul's saying you will have the right perspective on this. That when afflictions and trials happen, you won't see them as negative here. You won't see them as something I just want God to remove as fast as possible. But you will start to see them from the correct perspective. So listen to what he says in verses 29 and 30 of chapter 1. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through, and notice the emphasis, the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Now, Paul was in prison. Who he's writing to, they're not in prison. But he's saying, you know, in reality, you're going through some of the same hardships, the same trials and difficulties because of your desire to live for Christ in, in a world that does not embrace Christ. But in fact, is very adamantly opposed to Christ and to biblical truth. So notice that thought. You are in the same struggle. You are in the same conflict that I am. Suddenly he paints with a very broad brush and says, if you're in the community of the body of Christ, you're, you know what I'm talking about here. You're, you're tracking with me. You can relate to the inevitability of afflictions. Verses 21 through 24, Paul talks about this, this inward struggle he has in light of afflictions. Which is better? He, he wants to be with Christ or to remain here and labor in service to Christ. And it sort of brings up the issue for many of us. Do you ever feel that struggle? Not, not where you're struggling because you're saying, well, you know, my body's wearing out and I just want to have a new body, just want to be in heaven. But when you're looking at this, where can God most effectively use me? Because you could read this portion and take a modern spin on it and say, Paul could look and say, you know what? The quality of my life isn't what I want it to be. I'm in prison, got a lot of aches and pains, had a rough life so far, been beaten, whipped. I, I just, my quality of life isn't worth it anymore. But notice he says, you know what I wrestle with? I, I want to be with Christ so badly because of his presence, not to just escape this world and its afflictions, but because of what I know it means to be in the presence of God. But as strong as that tug is, my other tug in the opposite direction is God has placed me with a calling, and that is to teach and to preach and share the good news. 
And if I'm in the Lord's presence, I don't need to evangelize anymore. I don't need to proclaim the good news. I'm in God's presence. And so he says, you know what? This, this is a constant pulling I'm feeling. Have you ever watched someone fly a kite? When we were on the beach enjoying ourselves, but I was thinking of all of you. Uh, there was one guy we saw that I, I couldn't even tell he was flying a kite because it was so high up. But it was very clear he had the string in his hand and he was battling with, with keeping the kite under control. In other words, even though I couldn't see it, he, there was that constant tug he was experiencing. So in the midst of our inflictions, because they're inevitable, Paul's saying this is kind of the reality of the Christian experience. You should feel this, this pull. And I think for many, as you grow older, maybe that tug even gets a little stronger sometimes. Because you've had parents who've gone to be with the Lord. You've had other brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe your age, who've gone to be with the Lord. And so it might seem sometimes like, well, there's less reason for me to be here now. I'd, I'd rather be there. Paul says, well, maybe when you're wrestling with that, where does God most effectively want to use you? So afflictions are inevitable. And I probably at this point don't need to convince you of that. I'm sure each of you have some things you could share, difficulties you've gone through. But now we move to the second truth, and that is afflictions are invaluable. Now Paul says these have been given to you to suffer. Now the word given is an odd word. It means like graciously, almost as if this is a blessing that, that God has so designed his working in our lives that he's going to bless you with afflictions that prove to be invaluable, though painful, and at times the cause is immediately because of the sinfulness of others around us. But look at verses 12 and 13, because as Paul speaks about how afflictions are invaluable, priceless, you want to think about, well, well what does that look like? You know, why, why does he even say that and draw that conclusion? Well, notice verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, why would Paul say to them, I want you to know this? Well, they're Christians, and they're like us. We look at Paul's situation, and we might feel sorry for Paul. We might be thinking, Paul, you must be so discouraged. You know, you're sitting in prison again. You have no outlook here on, will, will you get out this time? You know, they, I'm sure his audience has known other Christians who've been martyred. So maybe that's it for Paul. You know, they've seen it happen to other apostles. And that group is getting smaller and smaller. To Paul said, no, let me give you the right perspective on this. And what he says here in verses 12 and 13 is actually suffering advances the spread of the gospel. Contrary to what we might think, well, if we had greater ease, greater resources, 
um, you know, th this would help us spread it. And God's infinite design has often been proven that affliction, hardship, trials, open doors for sharing Christ. And notice what Paul says there in verse 12. All this has served to advance the gospel. A term that would refer to a, a military army who en route to a certain destination has to cut and carve a route to travel. Paul says, you may not realize this, but even what's happening to me at this present moment is not preventing the gospel. It's opening doors for me to share. And he gives you a very specific example, the, the palace guards, the praetorium. So the emperor had a, a residence, part-time residence in Jerusalem. That was the praetorium where there were specific guards, personnel that were there. Paul says, every day that I spend in prison in this location, word is spreading among these guards. Why is this guy here? Because of the gospel. And don't be naive to think Paul didn't take every opportunity to say to these people assigned to him on duty, you want to know why I'm here? Let me tell you why I'm here. I don't think Paul took the Fifth Amendment here when they talked to him. I don't think he said, you know what, I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to have my lawyer speak for me. And they said to him, Paul, what, what is up with you? Why don't, why don't you just recant and we'll, they'll let you go. I'm sure Paul took it as a, a golden opportunity to say, look, I want to tell you about Christ. And you may not believe this, you may reject it, but I'm going to tell you. I think one of the most uncomfortable duties must have been assigned to guarding Paul. Imagine me giving a 12-hour shift. You're going to stand with Paul for 12 hours. What do you think Paul's going to bring up? What do you think Paul's going to start talking about? Is Paul going to start just reciting scripture? So you see that suffering advances the gospel. Notice in verse 28, Paul says, in the impact of how this has worked, not just for him, but for the greater cause of the church, he says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. In other words, this boldness of, of believers speaking out on behalf is proof to the world you don't fear affliction. You don't fear the hardship and criticism that others throw at you. Now, that does not mean as a Christian it doesn't hurt. All of us, I think, by nature, we, we like others to like us. We, we don't get up each day and say, I hope somebody's really offended by my testimony today. Or they get upset with me and say all kinds of things about my character. But we need to realize that those kind of situations, as Paul says here, they are a proof to the world, a demonstration of the reality of who Jesus Christ is and the judgment that does await those who would rather have the applause of the world than the praise of their Heavenly Father. But Paul isn't finished there because not only does affliction promote the spread of the gospel, but affliction promotes and advances spiritual growth. 
And Paul means that first personally for himself. Because you see in verse 18 through 20, Paul mentions with great confidence that the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul speaking from the heart here saying, I have grown personally through these difficulties and trials. Now when Paul says, I know this will work out for my deliverance, that deli word deliverance is a broad word. It means for my ultimate salvation. Now Paul had no guarantee that he was going to be released. Now from history and acts, we can surmise that he did finally get released from this imprisonment only to be shortly thereafter imprisoned again. But the reality was, Paul was saying, in the big picture of things, I have grown in Christ to know that he will take care of me in all ways and in every way. Very similar to David in Psalm 37, I believe it is, says, he has never seen the needs of the righteous go unmet, young or old. Paul's saying, I, I've grown so much through this experience. We all like something Paul says in Philippians 4 when he says, I can do all things through Christ. We, we love that verse. But do we stop and think about what the verses before that say? How did Paul learn that? He says, through times of need and times of blessing. In other words, through all kinds of circumstances God brought in his life. That's what was needed to get him to the point where he could say, I know that God is sufficient for all my needs. In other words, without that reminder, like the people of Israel were given, that through the furnace of affliction, I have refined your faith. Not, not sought to destroy it, but to burn out the impurities, to strengthen it, to deepen it. But you see that not only does suffering enable us personally to grow, but it has a tremendous or can have a tremendous impact upon our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you see this in verse 14. Paul says, my experiences, my chains have made other brothers and sisters in Christ encouraged to share their faith. So now we're looking at something Paul's gone through is not just a personal experience that is only unique to Paul. It has a mushrooming effect on those around him. That it's encouraged and strengthened other believers. So much so that you get to verse 24 and you notice Paul writes there, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your joy and your progress. Now, the word progress there is the same word in verse 12, advance. So Paul's saying, now I'm aware that these struggles are also helping to advance your faith. Because you're going through the same trials and difficulties. And then you get to verse 27 where Paul says, whatever happens... 
conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, live like citizens of heaven. Now, that takes on new significance when you think about Philippi was a Roman outpost. And many retired Roman soldiers lived in Philippi. Uh, it adored the city of Rome. They dressed like Romans. The city was architecturally made to look like a little Rome. In other words, it was very important to the people of Philippi to see themselves as citizens of Rome. Well, having that basis foundation there, Paul says, you were to live as Christians in Philippi, not, not just proud of your Roman citizenship, perhaps, but higher than that, you are citizens of heaven. So therefore, in your afflictions, live in such a way that is fitting to your confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I think anytime you hear a sermon on suffering and afflictions, you're always left with sort of the question, well, how is it possible for me to view my hardships, my difficulties, in, in the same way that Paul is here. Not, not just that I see them as inevitable, but, but I see them as invaluable, whatever my circumstances might be. Well, the answer would be, you cannot do that unless you have learned and are learning continually how to throw yourself completely upon God and his promises in the midst of your difficulties. Because permeated throughout this letter are words like rejoice and joy. Now, how can Paul say that in light of the distressing situations he's going through? Because he has learned how to throw himself upon God's word and to trust in God. Paul says, I, I could not weather this without your prayers and the help given to me by the Holy Spirit. Notice we began our worship service with the singing of the hymn, A Mighty Fortress, oh, excuse me, not a Mighty Fortress, How Firm a Foundation. Uh, that's a hymn that goes back to 18th century. Uh, not really sure who the exact author is. It's often credited to a gentleman who helped edit it. Uh, but it's a hymn that was not only of great comfort to many Christians, uh, it was sung a lot during the Civil War by both the North and the South at different times in the midst of battle. Um, but I love the third stanza in particular when it says, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. That's really what Paul is saying to us here. That's the perspective that God can work into our hearts and lives when it comes to trials and difficulties. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we, by nature, want to avoid discomfort and distress in any way we can. And yet we are struck by the reality in your word that in your sovereignty and your providence, it is through affliction and struggles that are part of the Christian life, that we grow deep. And so change our attitude that we might realize this week, next month, whatever enters our lives, that your design for your children is always only 
to burn out that which keeps us from knowing you like we should. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.